Grace is yours and mercy and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. In last week's gospel, we heard the chief priests and the elders confront Jesus as he healed and taught in the temple during the last week of his earthly life. What authority do you have for doing these things? They had asked him. And where did this authority come from? They demanded. And in a way, Jesus told them when he asked them, the baptism of John, where did that come from? If a prophet is sent from God, his authority comes from God. John the Baptist had that authority. Jesus had that authority. Moses and Isaiah, Amos, Aaron and Ezekiel, Nathan and Elijah and Elisha, Micah and Malachi, Jonah, Joel and Jeremiah, as well as a score of others, carried the burden of the prophet and the authority of God's own word. Today, as we begin a short series on the authority of Jesus, we're going to examine Jesus as the prophet of God. Jesus would have merited respect for no other reason than the fact that he was and is the prophet of God. The one who faithfully does what God sends him to do and faithfully delivers what God gives him to say. God sent prophets to speak truth to power, to call people to repentance, to declare God's wrath or proclaim his mercy, to give hope to the suffering, but more than anything to faithfully report this is what God is saying. Thus saith the Lord. Some foretold the future. Many healed diseases or performed astounding miracles. Some called fire down from heaven, stopped the rain, commanded the winds, raised the dead. You get the impression you really shouldn't mess with a prophet. The power that they wield is no human power and therefore has no human limit. Many of you know how much I love the story that fills the entire first chapter of 2 Kings, of the king of Samaria, Ahaziah, and how he had injured himself, and he was worried that maybe he wasn't going to recover from this. And so he called his captain, and he told him, take 50 men. Go on out and bring back a priest of Baal, because I want to know, how is this all going to end? And the Lord tapped Elijah on the shoulder and said, go and meet those people and ask them, does the king think there is no prophet in Israel that he sends to consult the priests of Baal? Well, Elijah, it wasn't much for a direct confrontation at this particular time, and so what happened is he went out and sat on a hill 
Now, Elijah, as you know, was a very distinctively dressed person. John the Baptist dresses the same way later on. He was one of those people known as hairy prophets. He never shaved, never cut his hair, and not only that, but he wore clothes that were made from the skins of animals that had not had the hair yet removed, the fur removed. I have no idea what the man smelled like. But he looked pretty distinctive. And he sat there on the hill, and the captain came and stood there at the bottom of the hill. Now, Elijah had already shown that he was no person to be trifled with. And so the captain thought he'd play his badge, that he'd show his authority. And so he said, man of God, if you are a man of God, come down. The king would speak with you. And Elijah never moved. He sat there and said, well, if I am a man of God, may fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. And they were gone. Their burned bodies just laying there. After a while, king realizes nobody's coming back. So he sends out another captain with 50 men. And the guy comes and here's Elijah at the top of the hill. And there at the bottom of the hill, 50 burned bodies. I'm not getting any closer. Man of God, if you are a man of God, come down. The king would speak with you. If I am a man of God, oh man, may fire come down from the heavens and consume you and your 50 men. The third captain and his 50 men took a different tack. He comes and stands among a hundred incinerated bodies and he says, Man of God, I know you're a man of God. And I also know you have to do what you're sent to do. Hey, me too. I was sent to talk to you. Please come down. So God says to Elijah, yeah, go talk to him. He says, you don't have to worry. Not going to incinerate you. And you don't have to worry about the king. You just go back and tell him he's going to die. Because he consulted the priests of Baal rather than the true God. Nothing's going to happen to you. So the captain goes back and says, Where's Elijah? Oh, he didn't plan on coming because it turns out you're going to die. And the king dies. You don't mess with a prophet. How about his successor? Elisha, a man who is famously bald. Many of us 
feel some affinity with Elisha. Big contrast to his predecessor, who was a hairy prophet. And so when kids are mocking him and saying basically, you can't be a prophet of God, everybody knows they're hairy and smelly, and look at you. And Elisha calls bears out of the woods who eat the kids. Don't mess with a prophet of God. Now, throughout the ages, you know, most preachers have said, I would have handled it differently. But uh, the point is that you don't mess with the prophets. Let's not forget the, the stories of the plagues on Egypt or the parting of the Red Sea or the stopping of the River Jordan. The revelations of Nathan to David about how the whole rest of his life is going to go. Or of Elijah to Jezebel or Samuel to Saul. The prophet was to deliver the word of God undiluted. And if he did so faithfully, the word of the prophet was the word of God. There is no force on earth or in the heavens more powerful than that word. Yet sometimes the word was hard to bear and sometimes it was hard to hear. Harder still to deliver. Jeremiah was rejected and arrested, imprisoned because of the messages he was given to faithfully declare. Sometimes it wasn't even a formal arrest. A whole bunch of people grabbed him and threw him down a dry well and said, let him starve. You'd think he'd get discouraged. And he did. You'd think he complained. And boy, did he. But he also found that if he tried to keep the message of God inside, it felt like there was a fire in his bones. Until he spoke the words he was given to deliver. I think that Jonah struggling to his feet in a puddle of fish puke would quickly agree. Being a prophet wasn't always glorious. And don't forget that God waited until Isaiah's kids were teenagers before he informed Isaiah that he was going to spend the next year preaching in only his underwear. Jeremiah, he spent over a year lying in the street looking at little toy soldiers he had made out of mud and then went home to cook his unkosher food, fried over dried cow dung. Can you imagine him roaming the streets looking for the dried ones? Here, Jerry, we love you, man. But uh, it's just weird, okay? Here, here's a bundle of sticks. No charge. Just, just take it, okay? You never explain yourself. You say alarming things, but we care about you. Just take the sticks. And Jeremiah just shakes his head and reserves, resumes his searching and scooping. Being a prophet could be humiliating. Then there was the danger. 
Jesus declared that if there was ever a prophet that the people did not kill, it wasn't for want of trying. Elijah runs for his life. John the Baptist was beheaded. In Old Testament and New, being a prophet meant you would be well acquainted with the smell of a prison cell, the bite of shackles, the shock of the lash or club. So it's not surprising that no true prophet of God ever volunteered for the job or knew exactly what the job would demand of him, except Jesus. With vision clearer than that of the most precise of the prophets, he saw his own death and the humiliation that preceded it. He knew he would be beaten nearly to death and stripped of his clothing before they put him on display to finish the job. And he knew that he would be remembered that way. Stripped of his clothing, beaten, and literally nailed in place in homes and churches for centuries afterwards. That's the way Jesus is portrayed. And he knew it would happen. When he told the parable of the tenant farmers killing the son of the landowner, he, he knew that just three days later he would be the son of the one who owns all of Israel, all of the earth. He would be put to death like the son in the parable simply because he is the son of God. But he also knew that three days after that, he would be raised from death no more to die, his body glorified and his deity verified. He was there to complete the mission he was given in the first days of humanity, to save his earthly parents and all their children, to pay for the sins of those who slapped him, and those like me who have called him Lord but so often do not listen to his faithful prophetic voice. Those who rejected his right to, to preach and heal, who were threatened by his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, scared and furious at his cleansing of the temple, knew that the parable he had just told cast them as the villains. They resented his entering what they considered their territory. They treated him with scorn as an invader from far off Galilee, unaware that he had come from, oh, so much farther than that. And come for this very reason. The temple he had cleaned was his house. The city he had come to was won by his father David. The world he had left heaven to save is his father's world. 
Last week we heard that the chief priests and the elders were afraid to speak against John the Baptist because the people believed John was a prophet. And now these chief priests and elders seethed with resentment at the news that they are the anarchists, the bloody usurpers who will face the justice of God for their treatment of, the, of his house and his son. But they can't strike at Jesus openly. They know the people believe, truly, that Jesus is a prophet of God. Still, we have to find a way to kill him, they say. Then we'll have all this to ourselves. They resent the parable, yet they move to inhabit it further proving that the people are right. Jesus is the prophet of God who sees it plainly and speaks it plainly. What he said and taught was true, straight from the mouth of God, directed by the Spirit of God. He came this way because his love demanded it. He gave his life because it was the only way to save you. The miracles, the teachings of his kingdom, and the prophecies fulfilled all demonstrate his authority. He is the Christ, the prophet of God. He is my Lord. Lord, help me to listen to his teachings, open his promises, rejoice in his gifts. And serve his people. In the name of Jesus. Amen.